Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. This is part three in the gin series. Sorry for the delay, but uh, you know, life happens. There is a psychology of Iblis, if you will. The psychology of Shaitan. In other words, if Iblis has been around since the dawn of Adam, right? The dawn of man. First Ad, first man, Adam, salam, and so forth. And since then, they were sent to the earth and basically the whole drama has been playing out. Shaitan has been studying us, right? He's been around for a long time. He's been around the block. Jinn have been around for a long time. As we know, they're ancient beings, right? So they know a thing or two about sentience and being in the world and the realms of Allah and the unseen and laws of order and so forth and so on, right? The good and bad jinn, as we've learned. So the negative or the dark forces of these jinn are studying human beings and they've got it in for us. There's that spite, as we said. You know, there was the cosmic bet with Allah. Like Allah, Iblis's arrogance and narcissism consumed him so much he no longer saw who Allah was, right? He's basically like, no, I know better and you're going to give me what I want just so I can prove to you that you're wrong and Bani Adam isn't karama or any of this stuff and why, you know, basically this was a big mistake. This is how arrogant Iblis is, okay? Now this guy and his buddies have been studying us and figuring out how to mess with us. It started even with Adam's own sons, subhanAllah, right? Introduction of the first murder, the first one of the big first sins, murder. We have elements of our own personalities, our own you know con constructs of ourselves that we aren't even directly aware of or accessing. In other words, they're invisible to us, right? And it's interesting that in Arabic, when someone's nuts or crazy, insane, we say majnun, which is from the same word of jinn. In other words, we don't know what's wrong with this person. It's invisible to us what's the problem. They're acting crazy. It's like unseen forces influencing and they're majnun. Was sane and then they're not or we have no idea physically or medically why they're acting crazy. We just, that's majnun. It's like this is unknown to us. But that doesn't mean there isn't a cause. And it's interesting, the Prophet said that shaitan flows in your veins like blood, right? So what does that mean? Is it... Does that also include this dark shadow that's in the human nature, which is also fed and strengthened by the shaitanic energy assigned to you? And it certainly means the shayateen who manifest themselves into our senses and that they are so close to us that it's like they're flowing through our blood. And that also tells us what? If blood flows in your body and you need blood to live, blood is what goes circulates in and out of your heart, your heart is the center of your spiritual eye and wisdom as well in many ways, right? And it's what orients you. It's your compass towards God or away from, or away from God. Shaitan resides in you like the blood flowing in your veins or like it's in your veins. So if the jinn, again, are some kind of an electromagnetic, they're able to use an electromagnetic wavelength uh, to send signals... I mean, you and I are constantly getting electromagnetic energy hitting our bodies right now just by using your phone or being in a society. There's energetic fields constantly hitting you, whether you are, it's invisible to you or not, but that's actually happening right now, right? So this jinn can easily be sending waves and penetrating your whole body, and the whole body has electric electricity in it. And it's a conductor for electricity, the human being. That's why you could get electrocuted to death. This is a known thing, right? You are a conductor. So you're conducting this too. Whatever forces could come from these dark shayateen. And guess what? When you, the self, generate your own negative or dark desire and impulse, that also sends signals to your, your shaitan. That's a sign. And then they feed off of that. Right? And they, they're like, oh, Kareem's going there with this. Let me, let me make this package. Let me help him sell this, close the deal here. Right? In other words, I got to really sell this to his nefs to make sure his higher self doesn't say, no, I'm not interested. I'm moving to something somewhere else. I'm taking my business somewhere else. I'm going to Allah's uh, store instead. Right? So there is also this in very important psychological component whether you really, you know, picture there's a, you know, some creature in an ultra dimension influencing you and seeing you and also reading what, you know, heat waves and electromagnetic pulses you give off, 
they've actually done t tests and studies on this, guys. When your heart, when you're in a happy, you know, sound, tranquil state of being, the wavelengths that your heart gives off are more symmetrical and smooth. And when you're angry and chaotic or depressed or feeling any of that dark energy, it's your, your the electromagnetic energy that comes off of you actually reflects more chaos, more volatility, sharpness in the crests and so forth. So subhanAllah, these things are happening around us. And it's this is why it's so important from a psychological standpoint to understand that the jinn are also, in a sense, just like your spirit perhaps is the way you're, you are you and you're alive. It gives you this life force, this thrust to be and to conceive. Maybe the jinn also, they feed off of us, but more so, we have to recognize that whatever darkness shaitan is, is also a, a personification or manifestation of whatever darkness is in you, right? Because all the bad things and evil things humans do, you know, again, you can't blame it on the devil, but it's also something humans are capable of. That's why the shaitanic energy can get us to do the, some of those things, right? And introduce no, new sins and so forth, right? Like the first murder, the first this, the first that. Okay, section two. The strategies that shaitanic energy can use. So first key or first strategy is the most, let's say, fundamental one. As they say, the devil, one of his names is the trickster. And his first and greatest trick is to convince humanity that he does not exist. Right? So, and what's interesting is, I've met people who are religious or believe in God and associate even with world religion. And they're, they believe in God and everything, but they like don't really believe in the devil. Or they think the devil is like a separate thing. Like God has nothing to do with the devil. In other words, evil is so separate from God because God is all good or love or whatever that we don't even perceive the devil as, um, you know, part of God's creation. In fact, it's like its own God that can, that conflicts and, and uh, you know, battles with Allah. But in the end, Allah is going to win. But the devil has his own, like, his own thing going, which is, of course, against Tawheed. The first strategy is the devil doesn't exist, and then from there, God doesn't exist, Akhira doesn't exist, your soul doesn't exist, the nothing exists beyond the sensory, right? And guess that's where we are now, and people have been there in the past too. It's not a new strategy. But the first strategy is, let's try to make what you're supposed to bear witness to, the shahada, yashhud, to bear witness and testify to what is real, and what is true, the first strategy is let's just flip that. Let's make everything that is real a delusion and everything that's actually a delusion what is what seems real. A second big strategy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran is that shaitan will ornament what is haram or beautify what is foul and disgusting and what is destructive and damaging and oppressive. He will actually make it or convince it or associate meaning and arguments that make all the bad things and destructive things actually things that, no, this is freedom. This is liberty. This is love. This is sexual expression. This is art. This is, you know, individuality. No one can judge you. No one can... That's all, you know, flipping everything over, right? That's ornamenting and beautifying what is haram and the foul he makes with, you know, the fahsha, what is, you know, beautiful and appealing and so forth. And look, subhanAllah, alcohol in Islam is haram. What do we call alcohol? Good times. Friday night. It's even called spirits. You know, stores have. Ew, buy spirits. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, what? Whoa, what is that? Like a spirit religion? It's like all bottles of alcohol. I'm like, what, what the hell does this have to do with spirit? But, oh, new labels, right? I can give you dog food and, a, and uh, put a can of, you know, fine tuna on it all I want. But the contents are the same, right? So that's a second strategy. Third strategy shaitan uses... Remember, we are mammals, right? Al-insan al-haywan al-nataq. The human being is, by definition, a speaking, rational, conscious animal with language. Okay? But we still are animals, nonetheless. We still have the same building blocks, materially, of everything in the heavens and the earth. Okay? We have all the same earth and, and plant life and elements in us as all the other creatures. That's why this whole argument of like, you know, your DNA is the same, so close to pigs and monkeys and dogs and tigers and lions and bears. It's like, so what? You know, 
Uh, most of the houses in my neighborhood are built from the same exact materials, but every house is different. So what? <laughs> Doesn't mean there aren't different engineers or different re uh, styles or functions or capacities to things. Cars are the same. They're fundamentally made of all the same stuff, but they're very different, aren't they? Tesla versus a Ford or versus a Porsche or versus a Ferrari, you know? And it all depends on the function of what you need. The third argument <clears throat> is where Shaitan uses your animal instincts, okay? Your need to survive. And that brings main big two emotions, fear and anger. Okay? Because you need those to survive in any jungle, in any raw natural world. And humans, again, have genetically been the same for hundreds of thousands of years. So we're still reacting the way we would 300 years ago in a tribal community in the mountains of you know, Peru or the deserts of Arabia or the lush lands near the you know, Indus River in India. It's like it's, you're human, you're human. It's the same thing. We want to breathe. We want to live. We want to survive. We want to mate. We need social support. We need resources, right? Bottom line. So fear and anger are powerful emotions that shaitan uses, right? Fear of survival, fear of thriving, fear of reputation, fear of this, fear of that, fear of not getting married, fear of not having a job, fear of what people will say, what people will think. And anger is about defense, right? Somebody is attacking you. Someone is stealing from you. Someone is oppressing you. Someone's going after the guy you wanted to marry or the girl you wanted to marry. You know, it's like fear, concern, anxiety. The human being is naturally anxious because we never have absolute control or power or predictability over reality or ourselves. So we're always anxious. Anxiety at a higher level and intensity becomes fear. And too much fear and too much anger can destroy you. Right? So that's strategy three, the primal animalistic emotions of fear and anger. Now, when that same animal is in a more, let's say, luxurious life or civil, you know, um, not civil, but let's say a more, uh, has more civilization in the sense of infrastructure, right? Because you could have native Indians be extremely civil and the finest of human being and caliber, right? That doesn't, but they don't have tall buildings or internet. That doesn't make them uncivil, just to be clear. All right, but civilization, I mean, it in the anthropological sense, which, you know, usually includes factors like, you know, sophisticated architecture and sciences and astronomy and so forth. Right. So when a human being, you know, is in less of a raw place and now you have kind of a light, a better life, let's say, right, more resources like like, let's say, you know, a rich prince living in, in a Roman, you know, emperor's court versus, you know, a, a, a poor farmer in the same land. You know, they're going to have very different tests and tribulations based on resource and accessibility and what they can do and get away with and how they can be believed versus not and how the system of authority will be in their favor versus not. I mean, all of that now has a lot to do with true justice and sincerity and taqwa and fear of Allah and, you know, so forth. Right. But when you have more luxury and resources, your tests now get into not just fear and anger, the primal instincts, but they now manifest into a variety of things in what we call the seven cardinal sins. And the seven cardinal sins have everything to do with how the ego associates with the body. And the shayateen, this is their first main level of destroying us. It's all at the level of, let's say, earth and body. It's about basic survival, basic reality, like God exists or doesn't, basic needs, fear and anger and how that can be harnessed and hey we're all here to survive and you know there is no god so i can do what i need to do right and you get into now cardinal sins which becomes heathenism and this has been found in every every great culture civilization roman egyptian islamic you name it once heathenism or you know overemphasis and attachment to the world came and akhira was lost in scope for the most part you know things start to crumble for you in the world right but the seven cardinal sins are very important to review. The seven deadly sins, for those of us that are unaware, are lust, which is unrestrained sexual craving and appetite and fulfillment of that. Two, gluttony, to overindulge, especially by overeating, but gluttony could, in, could include overconsumption and materialism in its own right. Three is pride or arrogance, inflated sense of one's self and accomplishments and grandiosity and so forth. Sloth is four, laziness, 
lack of effort, you know, just none of that taharruk, none of that, uh, the active, you know, the word Muslim, mu'min, mu'min, muhsina, and so forth. These are all active words, verbs, and so you're not any of those, but sloth. Five is wrath or anger. You know, uncontrolled feelings of hatred and anger and, you know, these people that go from zero to ten and they flip out and you're walking on eggshells, that's a deadly sin. Okay, opposite of that is patience and having EQ, emotional intelligence, knowing how to cope and regulate and take deep breaths. And Five is greed, the excessive desire for material things. Opposite of that is generosity, okay, and being charitable. Envy, jealousy towards another person's happiness. Okay, so that's different from, oh my God, I hate you. You have a Tesla. I'm so happy for you, right? Let me let me take it for a spin or can I go with you to lunch? But I genuinely am happy for you. Like, you know, envy is like I'm sitting in the Tesla with you and the whole time I'm just like, why does he have one? I have the same job as him. Does he make more than me? Why does he get to have a Tesla? And, blah, 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 blah. and I wish, I hope his Tesla, I hope he crashes it tomorrow. You know, it's like, that's envy. That's a, that's a sin. Okay, so the opposite of lust is purity. The opposite of uh, in modesty and the opposite of gluttony is having moderation and of course you know fasting and having discipline, following the sunnah when it comes to your sleep and eating and 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 uh, and love making essentially right. Pride, be humble, and recognize your need for God and the salah and all the things that Islamic practices revolve around. If you're doing it consciously, it's meant to make you more humble, not more full of yourself, right? So these are examples of the cardinal sins. And often the shayateen will try to put chains around your neck and your soul when it comes to the appetites of the body, right? And these are all very easily connected to what? Materialism and the ego over-identifying with itself as the body, right? Now, let's say, mashallah, you overcome the appetites of the body, right? You get over addictions, you get over all this imbalance, you know, and, you know, one very important principle, people, is extremes in anything causes extreme, detrimental extreme effects, with exception to conscious extreme devotion to Allah in all your matters. That's the only thing you're allowed to be extreme in, right? And that's, by the way, very different from... Okay, cool. I'm going to punch out then based on the podcast today, right? And just uh, sit in the masjid and pray and do dhikr and trust in Allah to provide for my family. That's not that's not the extreme I'm talking about, right? That's just being uh, silly, impractical, stupid even, and even oppressive you could be, right, to your family. But extreme in your devotion and tadhakkur fillah, right? Al-hudur ma'Allah, to have presence with God, to try to always recall, mention, bring present yourself into Allah and bring Allah into your presence. You should be extreme in this for sure, right? Because that's how everything can become a worship. You can find the face of God with everywhere you turn. Every opportunity is a moment to choose to improve or to disapprove, to grow or to limit, to expand or to constrict, to beautify or to make more ugly, right? So this is, this is the only extreme you're allowed to have. But let's say, mashallah, you know, some brothers, sisters out there right now even, they're like, you know, none of that stuff really applies to me. I don't overeat. I don't have a lust problem or a porn problem. I don't, you know, have a materialism problem. I'm not, you know, spend a spendthrifter. I don't get angry easy and so forth, right? Just because you don't commit the major sins that are um, apparent, like drinking alcohol or, you know, lusting or sloth, it doesn't mean you still aren't committing sins of the heart or, let's say, the intellect. So when I work, for example, with um, people in uh, sexual addiction and recovery, you know, the first phase, man, it's like usually it takes a year or two just to get, you know, through level one of the breaking off level one chains of the shaitan, right? Which all has to do with the body and the appetites. And in this case, you know, if a person has an addiction around alcohol or, or sexuality, that's like the main one, right? But we've also learned that any time a person is in recovery and let's say, you know, they haven't acted out with sexuality, but then they overeat that day it actually increases the likelihood they're going to act out sexually. So Tawheed is asserting unity. We also have to assert unity in the human being. And any time you give strength to any of the 
aspects of your body's appetites, you actually give strength to other ones to open up, right? So it's interesting that in Ramadan, you also fast from sexuality during the day and drinking and eating. It's not like don't eat and don't have sex, but you can have all the water and coffee you want, right? Because just by you having liquid, it's going to make it easier for you to go, why can't I just, you know, throw a little donut in there too? Or a little, you know, pistachio even. It's like, what's the big deal, right? But it's so, subhanAllah, that's another thing is when you are disciplined around Everything that we know sacred tradition and certainly Islam has emphasized, right? That moderation, discipline over appetites, enjoy life, right? But to the degree that keeps it healthy and productive and valuable, right? Not when it becomes taking away. When I love sexuality as a person, it's like Allah says, go enjoy that, right? But follow these or this order and these limits because that's how you're going to maximize the benefits of having that experience as well as everything that comes with it. But if I now become dajjalic and over fixate, become obsessive, and all I want is sex, all I want is women, and everything, every time I see a woman, I objectify her into some sexual object or hole for my own nafs. This is an extreme, Right, And you are chained and possibly even worshipping other than Allah. Because addictions are literally idols of the self. Your dependency, reliance, and utter need is now to this thing, this addiction, this drug of choice. Not Allah Azza wa Jal. So that's a type of shirk and idolatry if you really reflect. Okay, So if the first level of the physical body and appetites are smashed and broken because alhamdulillah you're able to overcome these basic struggles of shahwat and nafs. Okay, then the shaitanic energy now works at level two and three, which I would say is kind of a combo of your emotional intelligence and your intellectual capacities, right? So for instance, if you're no longer, your struggle is no longer committing major sins in Islam, like the, you know, the ones we all know, right? Alcohol, zina, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, right? He gambles, she gambles, they cheat, they, they lie, they backbite. If you're not swarmed, you know, swooped up and all that stuff, then the shaitanic energy, or at least one way I see it, is now the strategy is, okay, how do I get this person, let's say it's me, okay, Kareem back down to committing all those sins that are just sensorious sins, right? It's easy for him to drink alcohol or to, you know, commit zina or to steal money if I provoke the fear, the anger, all those animal instincts in him as well as you know, convince him to get back down to that level. So what do I do? I got to convince emotionally, intellectually. So let's say I haven't committed sins in a long time. I'm feeling pretty good about my deen. Mashallah, I'm deening. Okay. Now, shaitan's going to use that against me. Oh, mashallah, brother, you pray a lot. Huh? Maybe you should give yourself a little reward. You've been so good. And here is one of the strategies. Shaitan, when you're good, and no longer committing sin X, you know, insert X, parentheses X, okay? Whatever sin it is, he will convince you to reward yourself with the sin because you haven't committed the sin. I know it sounds so <laughs> counter uh, logical, but do I see this all the time. Uh, mashallah, I didn't act out with pornography for th three months or so. I don't know. I, I acted out because I rewarded myself. I thought I deserved the reward. It's like, subhanAllah, you're rewarding yourself for the accomplishment of not doing the same thing that you're now using the reward for. So how, how does that work? It doesn't. But this is how shaitan gets you, right? It's like, dude, feel good about yourself. You're such a good Muslim, mashallah. You haven't done this in so long. Don't you deserve a little, you know, reward? And then once you taste it, you can, you know, slide and slip back into, you know, appetites of the body sins again. And now with that thicker chain is on your neck and on your legs, right? He will use Islam to destroy you or to, you know, um, bring you down. This can happen also through, you know, arrogance through the religion, right? Maybe before it was arrogance, like I'm too smart for Islam and religion, like all that nonsense, God and the devil. That's a different arrogance. But you could also be arrogant while you're on the path. Like I know everything. I'm on the safe sect or I know and you don't know. Or well, look at this guy. He doesn't have a beard or she doesn't wear hijab. And now you're just judging, right? And hurting people because you think you are better right, or superior. So that could be a way shaitan destroys you, right? Or he can cast doubts in your heart or mind about the tradition or the religion or your experience with Allah. So for example, when we get all gun-ho and we're, you know, on the path, after a couple of months, a lot of people hit this dark place again, depression, constriction, because they thought it was just going to be this rocket ship, you know, flight to bliss the whole way. It's like, no, 
You think Allah is not going to still test you and make sure it's the real deal? And make sure you're actually accomplishing everything you've asked him for. I want, I want to be better. I want to be free of an addiction. I want to become a better Muslim. Well, guess what? That doesn't, that's not a free, you know, fast track with no effort. You're going to have ups and downs and ins and outs. The difference is, is that you're a lot more conscious and engaged, right? But shaitan will go to this level. Intellectual, emotional schemes and strategies. He can use defense mechanisms, you know, all or nothing thinking. Well, if I can't pray every prayer on time, then I'll just give up. And then when you give up, you go back to despair. And then it's easy for you to start drinking and watching porn or sinning again too. You see how it works. Just cause and effect in either direction. Okay? That's why we need patience to, you know, keep going with this marathon. And it's okay if we sit down and we stop. Sometimes shaitan also attacks you when you're, he attacks you now with your perfectionism of Islam. Right? And this becomes a new obsession and impulsiveness that eventually makes you implode and, and lead back to despair because it's actually inconceivable to be a perfect Muslim. In fact, Allah designed us perfectly to be imperfect because if we weren't, then the path of Ihsan to become Muhsin or Muhsina, there, is, there doesn't exist. You have to always have limits in you to identify and grow. You always have to have ugliness in you to become beautiful. You always have to have some bad in you to become good. And you always have to have good in you to become better. That's the path of Ihsan, isn't it? Transformation, tezgiyah, tazfiyat and nafs and so forth. Right? Enlightenment and expansion and all that. Okay, so there can't be a perfect, you know, form of any human being in that sense. Right? Like literally flawless. Even the prophets made mistakes. Abasa wa Tawalla and Yunus in the cave and Musa with Khidr and the list goes on, right? So it's not about perfectionism, but it's about you're perfectly imperfect so that you can maximize the journey of Ihsan with Allah Azza wa Jal. Once you've accomplished, of course, Islam and Iman, you get to Ihsan, okay? At least this is one model to look at it. And you have X, Y, and Z axis, right? Horizontal, vertical, and depth. Islam, Iman, Ihsan. So he gets you with emotional and intellectual strategies, you know, philosophical arguments. You could, like, for example, you may have that friend or relative, they were so solid on their deen and, you know, too many atheist uh, YouTube videos and now they're like, you know, they lost it all. It's like, oh my God, they used to be the Quran teacher and Sunday school volunteer, and now um, we don't know where, where they're at. And it's like, you know, hey, sometimes people lose their way, but it doesn't mean they're gone forever. Sometimes you've got to go into some doubt or explore other worldviews and then you come back to the truth with more certainty. I knew a guy once who was atheist, uh, who was born Muslim, then went to atheism, then he went to Christianity, then he went to Shiism, and then he went to Sunni Islam. Like that, that was his journey. So you never know. SubhanAllah. When we come back from this short break, I'll share a couple of algorithms to keep in mind. If you haven't already, leave us a review on any uh, platform you listen to iTunes, Spotify, etc. And uh, please sponsor the show at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Special love and thanks to all my patrons out there. Keep us brewing. And signals to your consciousness. And see us from the dimension we can see. The nafs, as we you know, shared earlier, has its own animalistic drive and needs to survive. And those could naturally, you know, you basically fulfill your animal instincts using your higher capacities of intellect and consciousness. And we see this, right? It's like sophisticated forms of evil, like the Nazi regime or whatever, right? Some of the things we know that happens out there, the crimes, like, oh my God, what sophisticated evil and, you know, just uh, foulness.
people can actually do, right? So sometimes it's that. It's your animal drive, you know, and you haven't experienced higher levels of consciousness, yet you experienced, you're using your higher forms of intelligence or cognition or problem solving to fulfill your evil. So there is always a human element in us that is, whether shaitan exists or doesn't, that we always have that drive in us to either, you know, correspond and be in harmony with nature and other creatures or not, right? That's a possibility. But if shaitan is there, what he's doing is he's trying to almost like fuel or start fuel fires that are already in you, or he will try to start fires that you weren't even starting, right? So that's the jinn the jin energy. And then it's just electric, you know, energy that he fuels or pushes or, you know, let's say inserts into what's already happening in the person, okay? And sometimes they're just, the jinn is inserting for you and you now are experiencing the impression and that's where the human psyche chooses or diminishes it or swipes it away or blows it up and makes it all they see. That's up to you, all right? But the shaitanic energy will usually use push and pull. So they either push you towards something wrong or they'll pull you away from something good. Right? Sometimes they pull you into something wrong. So if I were to break down these algorithms, let's say, first category we'll call it the naked call by the jinn, the shaitan, right? Or the nafs in you. Which is basically, hey, this is enticing, this is pleasurable, you've heard about it, you've done it before, or you've seen it and you're extremely fatuated and curious about it, right? But you know your deen or society tells you don't do these things, right? Because remember, sometimes things that are haram in Islam are also against the law. So there's obviously universal truths. But the first algorithm is what I call the naked call. It's the algorithm is, hey, just do it, parentheses X, whatever it is. Or hey, doesn't this X look enticing? Why don't you try it? It's been a while, right? Or you've never given this a try. You never know until you try. Sometimes it's just a naked call. Another thing is the push. Another strategy is the push, where the shaitanic energy will say to you, do this X. Sin, insert sin, because you are bad. Johnny, Larry, Mediam, Kadim, whoever you are, you're bad. And you've always been bad. So you must want to do the bad. And then the person's like, yeah, I'm kind of convinced by that argument. And then they do it, right? The shaitan convinces you, you always do this bad. Let's say you have a reoccurring sin or, or an addiction. Right? It's like, well, this is what you always want and this is what you've always been doing. So isn't it you? So why are you fighting it now? Right? That's a type of emotional as well as even logical argument for the person. So this is the way the shaitan can also push. Do this X because you're already bad or you've done the bad or you've been doing the bad or you want the bad. So you are bad. Therefore, it's rationalized. It's justified. You're being the authentic you or whatever. Right? Other times, the shaitan will... Say, you love X, why do you deny you love X? Go and do X. Or, you have been good, you know, a good Muslim or Muslima, and you deserve a little reward, so why don't you go back to X, whatever that sin is, right? So these mechanisms, shaitanic energy will generally, to know if it's shaitanic energy, it feels usually inserted or out of nowhere, right? The nefsi voice is very perpetual. It's like that little kid that won't shut up in you until you give it what it wants. But the shaitan comes in and out. And sometimes it's random. And sometimes it's actually very contextual. And it just feeds the circumstance that you're already in, right? Like it's like it already sees it picks up on the infrared emissions my body's giving off. And it's like, oh, Kareem's already thinking about this or Mary's already feeling this. Let me, you know, push this, push them over the edge to get to the sin, right? So there is this the ways that the shaitanic energy, if it's calling you to negative thinking and despair about yourself, others, and the world in Allah, if it's causing f mainly fear and anger, or things that lead to rationalization of the seven cardinal sins, and there's also sins of the heart too, which we can talk about another time, but these sins, when you find yourself rationalizing or making excuses for these things, or you are finding perspectives that are Dajjalic. In other words, they're fixated, they're one-eyed, they're very limiting, they're not asserting unity, they're not seeing the whole picture. That fixation is what also causes a lot of constriction and damage and you know poor choices and decisions, ultimately. 
So the shaitanic energy is using these main forces and they use cognitive, let's say, and emotional mechanisms to, that are already in the person's personality or they evoke them along the way in the person's personality. So they will push towards evil or they'll push you towards a lesser good or they'll push you to no good, right? Like those are, those are all outcomes they're happy with. Sometimes the shaitanic energy pulls you towards evil and away from good or pulls you towards a lesser good when you're on your way to a, good, a better good or pulls you towards no good. So for example, convincing you to watch porn when you're minding your own business and you know doing your homework or you're doing some work. Another way it can manifest is he convinces you to watch porn because, hey, it's better than going out there and committing zina or going and, and you know, sleeping with an escort, which you did last year. So, hey, you're still more righteous by just watching porn. So that's a rationalization in a way he pushes and pulls you. And another version of that could be, okay, fine, don't watch porn. You know, he can't get you to watch porn because your, alhamdulillah, your higher self is fighting that. But then he convinces you not to pray. All right, fine, you're not going to watch porn, but why should you pray? Because you're struggling, you're not married, or you are married, and you want this, and you can't have it. So at minimum, just don't even be, you know, don't commit a sin, but then don't go towards the good. Sometimes that's a, a conclusion or an effect the shaitanic energy will convince the self to uh, accept, right? Fine, don't do the sin, but don't do the good. Or if you're going to do good, make sure it's a lesser of a good. Or try to neutralize him from doing good at all, even if it means he can't do the sin, let me make sure he just doesn't do the good, right? Remember, shaitan's in it for the long haul. Are you? And that's what shaitan relies on, is that typically if we're not in for the long haul, he can get us very easily with the seven cardinal sins. And most people are going to probably be in trouble because of the sins of the appetite and the body, you know, first and foremost. Keep in mind is that the shaitanic energy will often also convince you that your hard work towards the khair or the good or righteousness is very anticlimactic. It's like, what? I became Muslim and this is what I got? You know, judgment from ethnic communities or whatever? Or I stopped all that haram and now I'm trying to be better and I'm still not married after five years? I still don't have a job? I'm still doing and not... You know, this is one of the ways shaitan gets you. It's like, is it really worth all your sacrifice? Does Allah, does Allah ever give you what he says? Or is he ever going to give you anything today, right? He harnesses your impatience, your fear of poverty, your fear of threat and danger, your fear of not actualizing as a person. Because Allah designed you to self-actualize through him. So shaitan uses your God-given design against you. To self-actualize, he uses that same power for your darkness. In other words, all your hard piety is just laborious work. There's no real pleasure. But, and he convinces you there is no Jannah afterlife. And as a Muslim or a believer or righteous person, you're not going to have Jannah here either. Which is, again, the opposite of what Allah tells you. You'll have Jannah here and in the next. It's not all in the Akhirah. Okay? But shaitanic makes you impulsive and makes you want what you want now. And you never think about long-term effects. That's a lack of wisdom, right? Shaitanic energy also encourages extremes in all matters except extreme devotion to Allah That's another big law, satanic psychology. The shaitanic energy also wants to inhibit all your good activities and inhibit any value or return that may come from them. So why do you pray every day? You never get anything you want. Why do you keep praying, right? So he wants to convince you also to stop the khair that you're already, let's say, disciplined in. Or that you find joy in. He tries to take away the value from the things that already are good and exist. Because that's how he gets you to stop it. And then he'll replace it for you with a bad or negative or haram or evil pattern. And this ends up making the believer feel like I spent all my life trying to be good and what did I get? I walked all over, you know, a spouse that's unhappy, people, I never get promotions, people think I'm this and that. What's, you know, this is how shaitan can get you to. Shaitan would rather you think of yourself as a bad, pathetic human being that even if God existed, you're not even worth his time or his forgiveness. That's the despair. Versus Allah would rather you Pursue trying to be the greatest architect or, you know, scholar or engineer or entrepreneur ever. 
and not necessarily get it, but have good hopes in Allah and reward for, you know, the process itself. Another way that shaitan gets a, a lot of people, from my observation, is through the overfixation and exaggeration. You know, you make a mole into a mountain and you do this specifically with negative things, right? So you're just constantly drowning in negativity and constriction, which eventually leads to despair and giving up. So pay attention to these powerful mechanisms that are often used uh, by the shaitanic energy. And the things that we can do cognitively is always talk to yourself out loud or write in a journal perhaps and use your name. Like, Kareem, what are you really thinking here? Why do you think this is justified for you? You know it's haram. It goes against uh, Islam or it goes against the law or it's common sense or this didn't work out pretty last time you, you applied the same uh, concept here or behavior. Talking to yourself, talking to yourself in front of Allah, talking to Allah about yourself is a way that you can create a psychic space between your spiritual self or higher self, you know, your fitra and the ruh that's in you, and then the ego that's sometimes overlatched and overbinding and identifying with the body and the lower nafs and the dunya, right? So journaling, you know, talking to somebody, whether it's a professional or otherwise, you gotta be able to reveal, release, and replenish people. You know, you gotta recognize, you know, people don't think about their lives like the past at all. They don't sit and think about it or talk about it. It's like you have to understand these things, you know. In other words, have a conscious engagement with yourself. When you see yourself doing things that are out of order or are, you're on your way to something deviant and, or dangerous and so forth, stop, look, listen and cooperate with yourself and to yourself. And then you're going to learn more about yourself. But you've got to have the lights on. And you've got to be conscious and you've got to have times by yourself. You've got to sort through things. And if it means sitting in your car, you know, because your house is full of people all the time, then go sit in the driveway, you know, just do that. If you, That's the only way you're going to get un, uninterrupted peace and quiet or go for a drive, you know, or a walk. You need this though. Tools number one, seeking knowledge in all matters and all affairs will improve your total being and consciousness as a human, as a believer, as a person, okay? Rule two, the Islamic guidelines of purity, sanctity, on a daily basis, you know, wudu, tahara, eating halal, keeping connected with Allah through salah, reciting the three surahs that we mentioned in the last one, قُلْ al-kursi, um, doing dhikr, having a wird practice could help some uh, some people, like having that structure. You know, these are all things that help fortify you uh, and protect you uh, from receiving signals, less so from shaitanic energy. But more importantly, when you do get negative signals from shaitan or your own nafs, you are able to see it and understand it more clearly and vividly. In other words, that inner uh, display screen of yourself, let's call that the mind, right? There's an inner display screen that you're observing. There's impressions, there's thoughts, there's applications, there's ideas, there's other people's voices, you know, critical voice of mom and dad or whoever, or your boss. All that is swimming around. So by being more centered, integrated, and focused, you will be able to also decipher and differentiate the healthy and unhealthy, the evidence-based and non-evidence-based, chatter that happens all the time. That's why meditation, salah, having quiet time, being out in nature. The rule is the less sensory input you have from the outside, the more internal togetherness or internal unity and, and um, tranquility you'll experience. In other words, you got to let all the chatter and vibration from your sense, the sensory input from your phone and people and everything being on all the time. Turn it off. So that the inside of you can turn on. You can actually hear the voice of your soul rather than the constant chatter of the ego and everything that's influencing you from the outside, right? So this has to happen for you to really sort through stuff or else, you know, don't expect you're going to get clarity if all day you're just, something's being downloaded onto you. You always have the TV on. You always have, you're always on the phone. You always have your phone open. You're always on the social media. When are you have a chance to engage and lean into your own being? You can't. Right? The Prophet also said, burn incense and bukhur 
wear sweet smells, stay cleaned, use miswak, you know, um, beautify yourself. This draws angels. Dhikr of Allah draws angels and beautiful, powerful, protective light around you, your family, and your home. And it dispels the shayateen. Okay? Play Quran in your house. If you don't, you know, uh, read that much out loud, you know, play Quran in your house. That vibration, the very sound wave, pushes away and draws in the good and pushes away the bad. It also does it to you, as we mentioned earlier. Your heart and your physical body is full of heat and biochemical, electrical vibrations and magnetism, okay? And pulses and waves. It's coming off of you and coming out of you and it's coming into you. Okay, so this is the interplay that's happening, guys, the within and the without, the seen and the unseen, as above, so below. So these are some of the things that the Prophet ﷺ taught us. And to recognize that the shaitanic energy is simply either inserting and inspiring you to go away from your true good nature, or it's feeding off of and enhancing the evil you have already assembled or conditioned in yourself. Right, And so if by default we all start good, if we have evil today or a lot of bad, you know, a lot of foul parts of our character that we want to work on or we have diseases of our heart, you know, everybody has some level of grime and crust and crud on their spiritual heart, let's say. Okay, And deep cleaning does require us. It's painful. Sometimes it's painful to release trauma or to heal or to face your own flaws fully. And confront them once and for all. That's not an easy thing. But there's so much relief and pleasure on the other side, guys. And liberation. And you only open the vault of progress in a way you never did before. I can't tell you how many people, when they finally, alhamdulillah, with the help of Allah, awakened from their addictions and slumber. And maximized more of their true selves. They were like, I, can't, I, never, I was never alive like this before. Like I didn't feel like I was alive compared to where I am today. Right, the addict versus, let's say, the more pure self. Right, how much productivity, energy, lightness, joy they naturally feel. It's like, wow. It's like, yeah, welcome to the club of being human, according to Allah. Right, but everyone has their journey, and it's not about judging anybody. It's about recognizing that shaitan will always convince you to go to the haram because it's all pleasure, but he never talks to you about all the despair and anxiety and sadness that comes after your sin. And then that makes you want to sin more. And that's how your cycle of sinning or addiction or bad habits can condition you. So you got to throw a stick into that spinning wheel once in a while. And Ramadan is a way that Allah forces the whole community, let's say, to go through a spiritual boot camp. 60 days away, you know, start preparing from now, right? Start preparing from now so that you don't crawl through Ramadan. Try to walk through it this year or jog or fly even, okay? But you got to get some momentum going from now. You know, don't overindulge all the way till the last minute and then think you're going to have maximized the fast. The fasting is about what? Putting all the needs of your appetite in the back seat, in the trunk even, and focusing all your energy and drive with what? The spirit and the needs of the spirit. And that's why if we do Ramadan right, physically and spiritually and mentally, we feel fantastic. Right? Nobody describes the end of Ramadan if they do it properly. They always describe, they never describe it as feeling worse, right? They always feel lighter, expanded, more energized, more disciplined, more confident, more secure, more higher self-esteem, closer to Allah. Like, you know, subhanAllah, this is true. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we have it, is Allah to remind us that, yes, your spiritual states are not, um, they don't stay with you forever, but they are forever attainable. And you can reaccess them just based on what? Your practice, Right? And we always think, oh, Ramadan has a special magic in the air. And wallahi, it probably does. Allah knows best, but I feel it does. But the point here is that you can keep doing what you were doing. We all go, oh yeah, but then you lose. And it's like, yeah, so you choose then to stop praying extra or to pray at all or to eat, you overeat again or sugar shaitan comes back or whatever. And then you're like, oh, what happened? It's like, well, it's not rocket science. It's cause and effect, right? And I get it, it's hard to stay disciplined and consistent sometimes, but the point here is that it all it has a lot to do with our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly choices in the end of the day. Thank you all for tuning in. Inshallah, anything useful was from Allah and uh, anything confusing was from myself. 
I will be releasing uh, a patron-only exclusive gin edition. Uh, we'll, I'll be talking more about gin and physics and uh, some other nerdy, cool things. Join us at patreon.com and get to tune into that exclusive patron-only release. signals to your consciousness. in it for the long haul. Are you? And see us from the direction we can see.